back to the Power and Lifting Podcast. I'm your host, Solana Lewis. Today, I had a great conversation with Patricia Johnson. She is the 100 kilo national champion from Mega Nationals for the Open and Masters weight class. We talk all about her journey from bodybuilding to powerlifting to her career. It was truly an insightful conversation that I think you will love. And let's dive into today's episode. All right, y'all. I have with us Patricia Johnson, Miss Open slash Masters Champion of Mega Nationals. <laughs> How are you doing for the hundreds or the hundred kilowatt class? How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Girl, of course. Like I have been astounded by you because you just keep getting stronger. And you started at a later age that I'm used to seeing. So it's truly amazing to watch. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I think I kind of got a head start because I was bodybuilding a bit. So probably that's why I was able to get a good jump start. But um, I'm myself, I'm surprised. So I'm happy I'm at where I am right now. Well, that's one thing I wanted to dive into because I know you are a bodybuilder as well. How did the bodybuilding journey start? Well, honestly, so I was always in the gym and people thought I was bodybuilding when I was not. And in 2015, I said, to heck with it, let me just um, enter a bodybuilding show. So I entered my first NPC bodybuilding show, didn't know what the heck I was doing. Obviously, I didn't place well. And then I just kept on entering because I said, why not? You know, what's the worst that can happen? And um, I got better at it as I progressed. And then I, I didn't have a coach. I finally got a coach. And when I finally got a coach, I think that's when the year that I actually got my pro card, I think it was a year after I got, my, I got a coach to help me with the posing routines and so forth. Because everything I was doing was off YouTube. And um, that's when I finally got my pro card and I became... Um, quote unquote, the IFBB pro. <laughs> so, so just, 2015, yeah. you were like 44? 2015, 40, 45, 44, yeah. So still pretty late. <laughs> but that's incredible. It must be the Barbados in you. I feel like. I think, <laughs> I think it's the West Indian part of the bloodline because um, the women, the, the women on my, in my side of the family are very strong. My sister's very strong. My mom, she's still very strong, even though she's older. She's still strong for her age. So I think it's just the bloodline. So people will say, gen I, I would say part genetics, but you got to do something with that genetics. So I took advantage of it. <laughs> do people look at your family and think they lift when they don't lift? Um, I think they did with my dad. Cause my dad did lift in Barbados, but he didn't do um, like bodybuilding. He was just very big and strong. Mm -hmm. So... When you looked at my dad, you knew he did something, but you didn't know quite what. Um, yeah. I think probably I followed that. I, I, I followed that same look of my dad because I, I took on more of my dad's look when my sister took on more of my mom's look. She's more curvaceous and has that Anna Nicole Smith um, back in the day guest look from the guest um, um, advertisements. Mm -hmm. I took more of like the straight and narrow, like my dad's built and look. So, but either way, we were both strong. So. It's hard to say, but I know people, when they saw me, they, they, they assume I did something when I didn't. <laughs> I had a feeling, though, because, like, some <laughs> people, especially when I'm looking at, like, African people or, like, straight from the Caribbean, I'm like, some people look like they lift. Like, they're just naturally jacked, especially their mm -hmm. arms. Like, I had yeah. a friend in high school, girl, ooh, she, did not, she could not do a push-up. And you would think, like, she was in the gym every day. And I was just like, right. what is happening? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's actually true. So, and you know, you can imagine all of the comments I got when um, Black Panther came out. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was fun too, especially with all races, they were making comments, oh, you should do this, you should do that. You should reach out to Ryan Coogler for the next, you know, to be in the next movie. I was like, okay, whatever. Oh my God. <laughs> you should put a spear in your hand and run and throw it. <laughs> like, all right. I was actually thinking about dressing like that for Halloween. Of um, course. Being one of the warriors. But then, um, you know, I saw a lot of um, bodybuilders um, doing that look. 
because uh, it's play, it, it looks all played out, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like every African bodybuilder <laughs> that yeah. year dressed as Black Panther. <laughs> yeah, they did. They did. <laughs> oh, my God. So before you got into bodybuilding at 44, did you do any lifting? I, I was in the gym, but it wasn't like a serious, dedicated effort to become strong at bodybuilding or to become strong in poly, uh, powerlifting. It wasn't specific. I just okay. did it to stay active because I, for some reason, I always liked being in the gym. Even in high school, I would sneak into the gym to work out because it had great equipment there and I just used it. I just liked being in the gym. That was just who I was. It felt, it felt natural to me. So... As you were, so before that then, I know you are a doctor, doctor of education. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when did you get your doctorate? So I got my doctorate in 2011. Also that, okay. I, so I was 41. So I did that later in life. Prior to that, I already had my MBA. Um, and I wanted to get my doctorate because I, it was just more of knowledge seeking and wanted to do something further in my career. So that's when I, that's why I um, obtained my doctorate later in life. Okay. And before that you had your MBA in education? Um, it was actually in um, business. So I worked in corporate America for a long time, but I always gravitated, gravitated toward, towards trying to understand um, the, the topic of leadership because being in the corporate environment and being in the position that I was in, it always fascinated me how people got the roles that they were in and the lack of the ability to really be a true leader. They were good managers, but being a leader to motivate and get people to do the work because no matter how much skill sets we have, if you can't motivate people or direct people in the right direction to get the work done with all the skill sets we have, then everything else, it's not gonna work out well. So that was a topic that always fascinated me um, when I worked in the corporate environment. So I wanted to learn more about that topic of leadership. And that's what drove me to get my doctorate in the education, focusing on organization and leadership. You know, that's really fascinating because I have also wondered, like, I wrote what book did I read? Oh, How to Get Friends and Influence People. I think that's the name mm -hmm. of the book. Have you heard of it? Um, I, it sounds familiar. It sounds familiar. Right? So that book is all about, like, essentially kind of what you're saying like what it takes to make people want to follow you, how to treat mm. people and kind of motivate them in a genuine way. Um, right. I'm no expert at it, hence why I work for myself, by myself, <laughs> employees. So I didn't do, get very far with that book, but I will say like, it's such a fascinating thing because that's really difficult. And I think most people can say they've experienced a, a bad boss or like a poor leadership, mm -hmm. which made you hate your life because it's such right a big thing if you're a poor leader for someone's job like a job especially people in america is a massive part of your life because the amount of hours you spend working it so it can make someone go from being happy to literally miserable like you can make people's yeah. lives miserable yeah and the whole and i think now especially where this the new generation they're looking more about their wellness and well-being at work and how important how that career is part of them who they are and people are looking more into the ethics of a company and what they mean and what they will do for employee is really different from what the when I started working in the corporate environment everybody was so geared to again that right position that right nine to five looking good um and, and achieving this um this magical goal and I think it's different now it's all about well-being and being the best you and making sure that the job whatever you did was part of you and was and it made sense for you because I was too many times you saw people that had a degree in English, but they were some, doing something totally different. Mm -hmm. It's just because they need a job that turned into a career, but wasn't really truly what they were meant to do or meant to be. So they, a lot of them were unhappy. So I, I found all that fascinating how you can um, get people or work with people in an environment that, you know, it was so many people with different personalities, many different thoughts, and it helped them with the creative process, the process of developing and producing something and work with those different personalities and different cultures to get them to work together. So I found that very interesting. Did you ever yourself experience poor leadership as well? Oh, many, time, also many times, many times, many times. Yeah, so, and, and I think that I always sat back and wondered 
how did that person get that job? Mm-hmm. <laughs> who do who do they know? Who is someone's not listening? Someone's like actually putting blinders on to not see what's happening here and the call and, and what and what's impacting and how it's impacting the people and the productivity here in, in this group. So yeah, I, I've experienced that before. <laughs> Being a fellow brown person. Um <laughs> Did you, because especially you being a bit older, like things are, you know, different now. Like we had the Crown Act come out in 2020 or 2019, you know, where we could I finally. Wish it, I wish it was around when I was, cause let me tell you, you see me now with my short hair. I had I long locks. They were all the way down to my ass, right? And I was the only black person in my department in San Francisco. And, you know, it I wanted to do, you know, you want to play with your hair and do different yeah. things. So I actually went mohawk style. I shaved mm. size, like, so talk about my build with a mohawk. That I was about made to out say, you look intimidating. <laughs> so I, it was, it was very interesting. I wanted to see, I, I, I dared someone to say something to me, you know, like I, I was really waiting for it. And the crown act was nowhere in sight. So no one no. said anything. And I was just like, okay. Because I, I don't know if it was my look or they knew my personality, who I was in my work speech for itself, but I was just waiting. I was waiting, <laughs> but nothing happened. Thank, thank goodness. <laughs> well, I'm actually shocked to hear nothing happened, number one, which is sad to say, but it's the truth. And number two, when you say people like knew who you were, do you mean like they knew that you were very serious about doing a great job or that you would talk back to them like if they said something to you? Both. Okay. Both. They knew that my I did a great job, and they also knew that I wasn't going to stand for the BS. So it was a little bit of both. But <laughs> I think I was a point. Yeah, I think I was at a point in my career. You know, when you get this first job fresh out of college, you want to make everybody happy. You're afraid. You may be afraid to talk back and everything because you don't know the lay of the land yet. Mm-hmm. I think I was at a point in my life and my career where it was like, it's not happening today. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, I'm not going to let you do that, no. And even when I work in a new um, environment, um, I'm not, there's no fear. I don't have that fear of being afraid to tell them what's right or wrong because that's what you hired me to do. So if you, and I tell them up front, if that's not what you want to hear, if you want a yes man, that's not me, right? So yeah, kind of like build that. I don't know if it was that spine or whatever, but it was just like, I was just at the point in my life where it was like, I'm just gonna tell you what it is, but in a respectful manner. And then here it is, and this is me. And that was it. Oh man, that's that's just so cool to hear because as someone who's, so I just turned 26, right? And Mm -hmm. I have had conversations with people who are a bit older about like who are African-American. And I've literally asked them, especially I, I was asking a lot of people after Crown Act came out because like, it's mm-hmm. funny, like as someone who's younger, like I was working at Equinox and like no one cared about my hair, like at all. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, Equinox has like pictures of like gay pride in the front. So like, you know, they don't, right. they don't care about anything, right? right? And I would ask people like, hey, like, you know, when you were like, like 20 years ago, when you were working, a lot of people used to work in corporate, like that's like the clientele I had and they were all like in their 50s or 60s. I was like, when you were working in corporate, like was their hair still a big deal? And like the stories I heard just about like how they literally were told to straighten their hair or make it, not straighten, but you know, like, oh, like your hair looks unprofessional and we know what that meant. Mm -hmm. And just like how they dealt with that daily. I'm like, I literally, I opened my eyes. Like, I can't imagine it because I'm just so blessed. Like, I just happened to be born at a time where, like, it's, we're starting to move past it. And by the time I actually mm-hmm. got to working, the place I worked was, like, ridiculously open about everything. So, yeah. like, I had such a different experience. It could be also the geography of where I was because the experience I told you about, I was in San Francisco, right? Mm-hmm. So it could be a little bit more like they were a little bit more open anyway, because I do have a different experience when I was in um, Connecticut, mm. right? Uh, when Just before I moved to San Francisco, my hair was shorter at the time and I dyed it blonde. You know, I want to do a little something different. This was in a very, you know, 
Danbury White, Connecticut, very corporate environment, you know, Wall Street company, I'm not gonna name the company. And, you know, it was one of those, it was, it was like a sitcom. No one said anything, but it was the undertone about it because they knew I was leaving my role in Connecticut to go start a new job in San Francisco. And one person actually said, oh, you would fit in better over there. So I already knew. <laughs> and I just mm. let that go because I was leaving. And I already knew. I was like, oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> and she flat out said, oh, you're going to fit in better over there. Just And mm. nothing was said prior to me dyeing my hair blonde. But um, And, you know, there's separate issues about other Blacks having issues with people, women dyeing their hair blonde. That's a separate topic. But this came from a white person. And I already yeah. knew what she was talking about. So yeah. I just looked at her and I said, mm, okay, well, you have a nice day too. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, then you moved to San Francisco and did you, did you like really love being in that area? It's very different from where you were. Um, it's not like I really loved it. Um, it was more me doing it because I was a single mom at the time and I was looking for better opportunities. And this was around the time when I had just finished my MBA and I had a friend that lived in the Bay Area, so she helped me get this job in um, San Francisco. So it wasn't so much about I really loved it. It was more for me looking um, for broadening my horizons and trying to look for new opportunities and different environment for myself. <clears throat> That's what it was really about at the time. Because um, I had stayed in Connecticut, I probably could have, but I'm the type that likes to go out and try new things as well. So I said, why not? Let's give it a shot. And that's pretty much what I did. So how many kids do you have? So I have one biological and I was married and I had two stepkids at the, um, for some time, but one biological. Okay. How old were you when you had your son or daughter? Oh, it's a boy, son. So he, I was 24. I was, um, yeah, I was 24 at the time. And then when I went back to get my master's, I forgot, he was pretty young. He would, he came to me with, to one of my classes. I, I remember that, yeah, it was fun. He was a little, he was like, what, um, four years old or something like Aww. that. And he, he used to help me with my um, projects. Um, sometimes we would have like workshops, like group projects and they would come to my house and then we would work, oh, we, I would go to their house and I would bring him along with me. So he got to experience some of my uh, classroom experiences. <laughs> <laughs> that is cool does he because that means that when you started bodybuilding he's probably like 20 ish right i think like 20 ish so what was like his reaction to you getting into the world of bodybuilding and like oh, powerless? He, he loved it yeah he loved it so he actually likes you know have fun with his friend what so what's funny is that when i was when i started i was going to 24-hour fitness and a lot of his friends were there and his friends would be texting him, hey, I'm at the gym with your mom. Where are you at? Like your, your mom is lifting more weights than me. Like, so it was, it, it's funny. So he, he gets a, a laugh out of it. But before that, um, when he was younger, like middle school age, um, he will always, he, he wasn't quite sure what was happening because I was going to the gym. And then I think as he was trying to, was getting popular at school or whatever. I'm not sure, but then he will look at me. He'll say, why do you go to the gym? Why are you doing that? So I wasn't quite sure where it was coming from. If he was embarrassed or I didn't look like the other moms, I'm not quite sure. I couldn't pinpoint it, but something was going on. And we've talked about it as he got older. He, he said, oh, I don't even know why I said that. Cause now he's loving it. <laughs> and he was he, he himself wasn't quite sure. I guess he was just trying to understand because you know, at that age, they just asked the questions and I just didn't look like the other moms, but now he's enjoying it. He's having a blast with it, especially like, you know, um, your mom can't do what my mom could do. And, you know, that oh, type I love of thing. <laughs> Does he have a t-shirt? He has a t-shirt. <laughs> no t-shirt, but he probably should get one. <laughs> <laughs> Does he go to your meets? He's come to my bodybuilding shows. He hasn't come to okay. my powerlifting meets because of work conflicts, but he's watched the live streams. And, and, you know, he'll put stuff in the chat, like, where's Pat at? They go, Pat, like, you know, he'll accidentally and do stuff like that. <laughs> I freaking love it. He was such an inspiration for him, seriously. <laughs> yeah, so he's actually out of the country right now. And, you know, he's all about, when I get back, we're going to work out together, right? Because he's trying to get me to work out with him. 
And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, we can't drive together because you know I stay in the gym longer than you. So you have yep. to drive yourself and then you yep. leave because else you'll be waiting for me. I'm not stopping my workout to take you home. <laughs> nope. Exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's wild. So I I'll be blunt, I don't have a way to segue into this. Um but, uh, but I know. Uh, but going through your profile, like it's literally in your profile that you're a child sex abuse survivor mm-hmm. and I feel like that probably has shaped your story a lot as a person because you're such a strong person who's doing so many things I feel like you think you can conquer the world because you're doing everything <laughs> and being amazing but kind of like how did that like shape you as a person as you got older you know I people might see and I even have friends that joke that you know you've done this you've done that you've done this you've done that you've done this and I don't know if it shaped me much. Some people will say yes, so maybe I have to talk to a therapist or someone about that, but it was more about me refusing to be a victim because I watched my mom go through abuse. I'm um, in a different manner. I've gone through it and I didn't want to let that control me. I wanted to control what I can control. So I know, and I knew early on that I had choices and I had to take advantage of that. Else um, I would be sitting in this, sitting in this vomit of being a victim. So I think I was fortunate enough to not be fully stuck in that bubble of being a victim. Um, and some would, want, some would be quick to say that um, working out a bodybuilding was my outlet, I would argue differently because I think ever since I was little, I was always active. I was always the one that could run really fast. I was always the one that would, you know, could outdo the boys and certain things. So I think I knew that I had this physical strength and I think um, I leveraged the physical strength to do other things. Um, But also I think it probably shaped me to be, to take risks and be stronger because I, I, I learned early on that I only ha- we only have one life, you gotta make the best of it. And it was not going to be sitting around being an, um, letting that consume me and be a victim, but accept it as part of who I was and um, it was part of my life and that was it. So, and there was nothing I could do about it, but I, I, there are ways for me to move on. So I think it's in a way it did shape me um, to take risks and do things and now bodybuilding and powerlifting is not a risk, but you know some people will hesitate and say, "Do I want to do this? Do I want that? Do that? Should I call this person?" I said, "Well, make the call. See what happens." That's kind of like how I am. Like if someone's um, trying to make a decision about something, they spend so much time trying to make a decision as opposed to just doing it. See what happens. I'm the person that would just go and do it and see what happens. So that's that's how I operate. And. I'm not sure how old you were at the time when that happened, but at I one- was six. I was like pretty young, five or six. Yeah, I was really wow. Young. Yeah. So at what point did you kind of adapt this mentality then? Because like, obviously you're five or six. I thought it was like, you know, and five minutes later, like we are just going to go out and <laughs> take risks and stuff. So like, when it, did you get to a point where like, I don't want to be a victim anymore? I think it was part of, because I was so young being exposed to the other abuse I watched my mom go through and I saw how it impacted her and how she responds to, um, how she interacts in social gatherings. She is very shy, um, very um, pleasing. Like, you know, I. I get the, the, the please and thank you, but it was, it was like the overly please and thank you, it was the overly always saying sorry, you know? And I'm like, why are you apologizing? You didn't do anything, like the other person did it. So it was a combination of her seeing what the abuse that she went through, also being a darker black female that already has its own issues attached to it because she was much, she's much darker than I am. So that, that, that has its own trauma in itself here in, in the States when we came to the States. So just seeing how that shaped her to be this very quiet person that wants to make everybody happy and be just in her own shell, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be that. So, I, I, so growing up seeing that, I knew I didn't want to be that and I'm not putting her down, but I also knew that I want to be stronger 
for me and stronger for her. Because when I'm stronger, I, I have the ability to help her and to do things for her and see things that she could not see herself. So I think that's why um, I, that I was able to do that. For me, I think that's why I was able to do that at, such a, at a much younger age than probably normally others could not do it. And I think I, I wanted to break the cycle, right? Because if I had continued that cycle in my trauma, I don't know, I think it would have impacted how I raised my son, right? And I think I would have perpetuated certain behaviors and passed it on to him, like always being afraid of something because I, I saw that in my mom and I didn't want to be that person that was afraid to live and take risks. So I didn't want to do that to my son. So I think it, I, I felt it up to me to break that cycle. I find it amazing how you realized so early on that like you essentially had two options. You could be more close to your mom. And again, also not putting her down, but like more close to the, okay, let me like just be like more small and like more quiet, mm -hmm. like, kind of, like to kind of like not get in anyone's way so nothing happens. And you're like, I, I can be that way or I can be the opposite. I can literally yeah. be more bold and daring, just like say my feelings and if I do that, it will change the way that I get to raise my my kids. It will change the way that my mother might be because you get to actually be an example for her. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't think about how they can be an example for their parents. Like some people that never crosses their mind. So that's pretty amazing that like you had that mindset so early on. Yeah, thank you. And I'm not sure if I was trying to save my feelings. It was more of... Um, I think it was a chance for me to shape who I, I was and, and whatever in the way that I can control it and who I wanted to be. Um, there are some feelings that still exist. I do have flashbacks and moments and, I, and then I, 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 have, I have to accept the feelings of what happened to me because there was a, there was a long time for, um, like I couldn't have this conversation with you right now. Cause the moment I started talking about you, if this is a few years ago, I, I would look like Viola Davis Fields. Like that's not what we cover. <laughs> I, I shit you not. That's not everything that they're coming out. So it, I, I, I've, I've come a ways, trust me. So, and I, I think what I, I say all this is saying like, you know, it, it's a process, you know, it still hurts. Um, I, it, it still hurts to even think that there are people out there that could do that to kids. So there's certain movies I can't watch. There's certain documentaries I can't watch. I even had to explain that to my son. Like if I see something on the news in a certain way, I'm like turn off because um, it's more of this anger that comes out. So it's still a process. Um, so there are still feelings there, but um, I'm not trying to deny them. I have I embrace them, and then at this I take that moment to accept it, and then I move on because if I don't let it out, um, you know, there's people that have turned to drugs, alcohol, mm -hmm. other abusive behaviors, and I know that's not healthy. So I need to, uh, so I have, I use the healthier outlets. Like maybe that's why I'm really good and so determined and focused when it comes to powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, I was a really good student. So I was really, it, education was really important for me. So maybe because of that, education was important for me because it helped me focus, um, digging to schoolwork. And then from there, it, it helped me, I, I, it helped me explore other options in life by focusing on education, seeing what other people do, looking at different opportunities. Um, when I read different literature and um, see things that other people are doing and say, hey, I want to do that. I think that that's what helped me focus um, and all my energies and, and my other outlets. So yeah, you can say that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so, right? <laughs> no, yeah. seriously though, like really incredible that you went to all like these healthier outlets. Did you say that you never had a therapist? No, I haven't. Okay. Um, I... And, and I've been told I probably should, but I don't know. Maybe and that's part of the denial part in me. I haven't, like I said, it's still a process. I haven't got there yet. <laughs> I was going to ask, and I could be very far off, but growing up, like for me being a black person, my mom and my dad, like saw therapy as something that made you like weaker. And like, they were, 
if you were to sit anything about therapy, they'd be like, why is somebody in therapy? Like, what? So like when I started seeing my own therapist, like I was hesitant to tell my family about it. Does that mm-hmm. have anything whatsoever to do with why you guys never really thought about getting a therapist? No, I mean, I, I think it's because doing what I'm doing now, I think is my therapy. Like telling my son was a big deal for me. Telling my sister was a big deal you know people that I'm intimate with I let them know so just in case it's certain behaviors that I do like if I pull away like I'm just let you know what what you know there's a backstory like I come with baggage um I haven't told my mom yet because I think that's something that would devastate her because there's a reason why all that happened because it's things that she had to do and leaving with certain people so I don't want her to feel guilty about it um so I think me talking about it is my um therapy I don't see therapy as a taboo or a thing that black people don't do because for like, even in my own marriage, I went, we went, I, I encourage us to go to a marriage therapist. So I do think that um, they help, but I, I think for now talking about it is my therapy. Um, talking to other people, like my family members is my therapy. Um, someone even told me I should write a, a book or, or something like that to help others. I might do that one day. We'll see. But again, baby steps. <laughs> I could definitely see being a book writer. Like the way you talk <laughs> is so easy to understand. I feel like you could put that in a book and like make it like a really flowing, like easy to mm-hmm. read type of book. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it, it's, it's in the back of my head. Give me, give me a moment. It might come out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll get, take your time. When it's out, I'll help you promote it. <laughs> We will get right back to this conversation we're having with Patricia. I know you are loving it, but you will also love Girls Who Powerlift Apparel. Y'all, if you want to look good inside and outside of the gym, support Girls Who Powerlift by buying some of their dope clothing. Everything from gym leggings to shorts, different lengths to t-shirts with the best things on them. They have sports bras, they have singlets, they have wrist wraps. They have nearly everything you need to be set up for a successful gym day of training, to be set up for the platform, etc. So y'all, if you want to support an awesome brand that is giving back to the sport and sponsoring powerlifting meets, please use code Solana, save yourself 10% and buy yourself some awesome apparel. All right, let's get back to today's episode. Okay, so circling back to powerlifting, mm-hmm. we got into powerlifting 2018. I, when I, girl, when I was on open powerlifting, you know you've always gotten first place, right? <laughs> Every meet you've ever done. It's, I always do once, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny because, um, so I had my last, bodybuilding meet. So I, I always incorporate powerlifting moves, like the three standard moves as part of my bodybuilding exercise. It mm-hmm. wasn't a focus. And I had some friends that I knew for years that we went to the same gym. And one day uh, we were at 24 and he said, hey, why don't you powerlift with us? That was in 2019. Cause my last bodybuilding meet was in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, I finished it in July. And I think a couple of months before that, I said, hey, why don't we do, we do this meet together? And that was in November of 2019 that I signed up for. It was the, ball, uh, no, we signed up for a different meet. It got, it filled up. So we had to go to do the one that was um, the boss one out in um, California in, 2000, in November of 2019. Mm-hmm. So that was my first meet. So I was just hanging out with them, just pulling, lifting, whatever, no coaching. We were just doing our own thing. And that was my first meet. And I didn't realize how well I did because I knew nothing about the structure or, you know, how you progress from a, a local meet, go to national, knew nothing about that. Yeah. So apparently this was in November. People were telling me, oh, you qualified to go to NAS and they were all excited. I'm like, okay, what does that mean? I knew nothing, but then COVID happened. Yep. So for the all of 2020, you know, just kept practicing and then did a meet at Warcat and 2021 and then went to Nats and then kind of like everything just took off from there and that's pretty much what happened <laughs> that's what it seems like when I look at your uh open powerlifting because yep you did work at me you told 1146 so you added like 120 pounds to your total 
And then from there, you went to Raw Masters Nationals and you won. And then you went to Arnold Masters of Iron and you won. And then we go to Mega Nationals and you win. And you win yeah. open. That's what's wild. You're winning open. Like well, that is incredible. Well, there's one person that didn't show up and she has a higher toll than me mm-hmm. back in January. So I was looking to see if she was going to be there. If I will have to like, oh my God, I might have to work my ass off. But at least if she had showed up, probably I would have got top three. So yeah, I mean, I, I won open. Um, I'm happy. <laughs> but I know that this is like, you know, I take it as a blessing because I know there's always going to be someone stronger no mm-hmm. matter what. But I think I won. And it was important for me to win open too, especially with the new weight class change. Yes. Because um, in the old weight class, I was doing 84 plus, And I'm like, they really need to break up this weight class because there's no way that I could compete against Bonica Brown. I'm like, what yep. the hell? And yep. I really wanted to go to Worlds. And then when, you know, the whole opportunity came to go to um, Sweden and then it got canceled, I was really, I was really hurt. Not, not like really like in a true sense, but like, I was like, oh man, kind of like this sucks, kind of hurt. Yeah. And in the back of my head, I still want to get a world title. That would be nice but I will have to do it as an 84 plus in masters. There's no way I could do it in the open. Like I will have to like shoot up all kinds of steroids or something like that to like do an 84 plus and be powerlifting for like X amount of years just to even build up that strength. But yeah. Yep. And then at that point you, you can't even do uh IPF. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, yeah. So... It was funny too, because I wanted to get a, Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, like when I, yeah, when I was doing all the powerlifting, I didn't have a coach. And then after I did Warcat and it was getting serious, I was like, wow, I didn't really need a coach. So <clears throat> the search for a coach was also really interesting too, because I was reaching out to people. People were either getting back to me and then they, and then they never responded. And I was like, wow, are, pe- are they really not interested in coaching a master's person? I felt like I was... <laughs> An underdog like no one really I felt like no one really wanted to, to deal with me I, I I reached out to all kinds of folks because again I was new didn't mm-hmm. know who was who so yeah. I was like wow this this kind of sucks so I, the, I think at the last minute um found TSA and finally got in touch with TSA and I started with um Joe and then he moved on with um to create his thing Joe game day um, I'm sorry game day game um, day barbell yeah yeah game day barbell and so then I went with Eric because I stayed with TSA and went with Eric. Mm-hmm. So then from there, I just stayed with Eric. I'm so sorry you had that experience, though, because as a fellow powerlifting coach, like, <clears throat> there are just some people who should not be coaching or just who don't have really good systems for, like, onboarding new people and, ma- and paying attention to who's, like, reaching out to them. And it makes me really upset <laughs> that, like, the stories I'll hear for people who actually do come to me for coaching, typically mm-hmm. it starts with, well a lot of people there respond to me or I had a coach and he stopped responding or I'm just like, oh my gosh, like what was happening here? Yeah, well, I took it a little extra too. Um, I was a little bit more, I should say sensitive because I was a master's and I think mm-hmm. everybody wants to open people, right? And like the up and comers, like the young guys, I'm like, okay, no one wants to open for it. That's fine. That's cool. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and, and, and to, to be Good. fair, I just didn't work at, I was a nobody, right? At the same time. So I, so maybe it was because of the time of the year and everybody's looking at nationals. I don't know, but I was just like, damn, why is this so hard? <laughs> I was talking to my, to Sam Calhoun there, there and I was like, yo, like I love coaching masters. Like, and I actually want to start targeting masters lifters. I'm like, yo, masters, like they already have a job. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's be real, right? That you got a job already. Like they you can pay you. Yes, when you reach out for coaching, you're typically serious. Right. Like, you're more serious. Like, they tend to stay longer as long as you do your job well. And I think I'm pretty sure I think I think I do my job well. <laughs> and literally, I'm like, master tools are just consistent. Like, they have less excuses. I'm like, I freaking am team coach masters all the way. I'm like, yo, <laughs> the, ne- the next five people I get are masters, I'm a very happy person. I only took master lifters to nationals this year. That's all oh, I really? Have. Master's oh, okay. Yep. <laughs> and I'll be honest here. I'm still learning who is who. I didn't know who you were until I heard the Two White Lights podcast. Because That's I'm okay. still learning who is who. 
I knew of Sam. I didn't even know Sam had Sam Strong until I saw them at, um, until um, Masters Pro at Arnold's. When I saw, you know, Mel Mitchell and um, Kathy, I knew I met them at last national, but I didn't, I didn't, don't, I didn't connect the dots that they were part of the Sam Strong team. So I'm starting to learn all the teams and who's who, like, this is, it's a, it's a small niche, but it's like, if you don't know, you're going to miss out on who's who. You got to start 100%. learning. Yeah. Yep. Well, you, you have the best way of doing it. You're going to big meets and winning. So you get to go <laughs> right. and see everybody. Like you've been at nationals and now you're like, oh, there's like this person and this person. Right. Like, I can tell you, like, when I was at Nationals, like, the coolest part, too, was, like, just watching. I heard people screaming. I look up. It was, like, the whole Sam Strong and the bleachers, um, like, cheering for me. I was like, oh, my God, that yep. is so cool. <laughs> oh, my that God. so yep. cool. They literally, like, Sam Strong will pick out who they're going to cheer for. I'm like, hey, we like this person and this person and this person. <laughs> so when they come out, we got to cheer really loud. And if we're not on the list, like, they're just like, okay, so we're going to text until we get to the next person. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Is the truth though. Are you going to go for that world title for Masters, which would mean you have to go to PLA? I know. I have to talk to Eric about this because I have to figure out the politics behind it as well because I just saw that last um, newsletter from USAPL about what Powerlifting America is doing and telling um, the athletes they have to give up the USAPL. Mm -hmm. And then, so I, I want to see what happens. Like, is there backlash on either? Like, I'm trying to figure this whole thing out and stay safe. Like, I want, I'm, I'm waiting to see what happens, so to speak, kind of mode, because I'm nervous. <laughs> I want to, like, be respectful of USAPL and, be, and respect myself as, as an athlete, but not deny myself the world title. So that's kind of like this conundrum I'm in, right? <laughs> yes, it's definitely a messy complicated kind of thing essentially if you go to pla and you do a national level meet with them you would have to stay with them because if you went back to usapl then you are essentially banned from doing ipf meets for a year so it's not vice versa like if you were if you were in usapl then national and then went to pla we'll always take you back like usapl will always right. take you back but like it's if you want to go to pla basically you had to stay there after so you went to Worlds and did all of it because you don't mm -hmm. want to get that banned for a year that can mess you up. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So I have I don't have to talk to strategy, talk about strategy with Eric mm -hmm. and see what I need I want to do mm -hmm. and see if it's even really worth it at this point. Cause I kind of like having an open title. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I mean, yes, it's cool to have that title. And if you if that is where you want to stay, USAPL, like we're doing cool stuff over here, but like deep down i i just know like this will sound so good in your book like <laughs> real tough right though like you can be like yeah because i was first a national champion then I became a world champion like it mm. would sound so good like doctor world champion <laughs> bodybuilder powerlifter. it would be a good nice check off box you know because looking at my numbers and like the current um m2 holders like i know i could you know, like, I'm not trying to be cocky or anything, but I, I, I know I could. Yes. Yeah, I know. So, <sighs> you'll have that conversation. <laughs> I'll have that conversation because I think the Masters, World's Masters is in October. So, the Bulls already sailed for this year, I think. It has because, yeah, Masters National just happened in PLA like two yeah. weeks ago or something. Yeah, yeah. So, we'll have that conversation. I got to make some choices. I would, well, I would love to just. Uh, see it on a, that world level stage and be with the other athletes because it looks cool especially seeing all the pictures from south africa i was like damn <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's an experience you would never forget so yeah well, and i don't know when the masters worlds is happening do you is it south africa also or i'm not sure they oh, do okay. different locations though yeah 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 so i feel like I know, last year was Canada, but i could oh. be wrong okay like, yeah um, but that's something you can check. But yes, last year was Sweden. So, so think about that, you know, thought to Eric. We'll be we'll be paying attention. We'll see what you do. Okay. <laughs> I'll just stand back and see what you sign up for. <laughs> we'll see. So I know also on your IG, I saw you're a life coach. Yes. Yeah, so I do 
it was a combination of me trying to dig deeper in understanding people, what motivates them, what fulfills them as part of the whole lead my journey of understanding leadership. So I had to do that for, so I did that for some time because before working in corporate America, well, while working in corporate America and where I am now, I also did side hustles and consulting. So it wasn't quite being a therapist, but it was also like helping people with, um, you know, life, wellness and being in combination with, um, I used to do like, um, I had a nutrition store as well. So, you know, I'm West Indian. I had like several side hustles. So, <laughs> so it was a combination of like, you know, the life coaching, wellness and being aspect of things, which I like. And I think that's part of me knowing what I went through also want to help people come out of their way and help them move forward and progress. So, so I think that was part of it as well. So, but like, what is it like being like being a life coach? Like in my mind, I think of a therapist, but it's not the same thing. I literally don't understand what you do. Yeah, it's not quite a ther- being a therapist. It's almost, but it's all, it has aspects of therapy where people come to you with their issues, whether they're, what's the problems or what is it they're trying to resolve? So if it's, um, you know, like they have a problem getting um hitting certain goals um personal goals like they want to get a better relationship with a spouse a better relationship with themselves and then you just talk about you know kind of like their inner feelings and thoughts and what's what is it that they think is blocking them and you know there's certain tools that we use like a life wheel vision boards things of that aspect and then you help keep them accountable to get them to those goals if that makes sense so if someone wants to work on getting a house, I'm just making this up. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, what's stopping you now? If it's if it's finances, okay, well that, let's take a look at what you're doing financially. Um, what are you spending on? Um, keep a log, keep a journal. So you you would give them homework to do and things to help them stay on track. And you're like the person that helping them keep them accountable. And you'll have session and you discuss it. So you're kind of like that person that they can open up to that's like this unbiased person that they can open up to and explain things and have a conversation about it. That's cool because now I'm seeing how it's slightly different from like just straight up therapy because you're like, okay, you may not come to them like I want to necessarily fix this or get better at this like for Mm -hmm. myself mentally. But it's like, just like you said, like if I want to like have a house, like let's figure out what's stopping me from getting the house let's yeah. make a plan like that's a little bit different that is really cool yeah so we're not so we don't diagnose right or try to like um give like medical advice or anything so it's more like it's something different that's manageable that helps the person keep them on track of what their goals are um from a life aspect and wellness perspective okay. now there are times where it's not where if you hear um triggers of there may be something deeper like that requires a therapist you may want to refer them to someone that to have um help them through something that's a little bit more deeper than you can that you can do so hopefully there are coaches out there that are doing that i i i do not try to diagnose or anything like that no i'm not getting myself in trouble (laughs) or put put the other person in trouble i should say yeah like Paying attention, that's always like tricky because like literally you don't want to get out of your scope of practice. So mm. you're like, okay, oh, yeah. I can do certain things, but I can't tell you if you have some like this legit thing going mm-hmm. on. So right, right, yeah, exactly. That does sound tricky. Has have you ever had to personally refer people out? I have so, not. No. Yeah. And then when I think about it, now that we're talking about it, I think it's more of I think what I liked doing doing it was more of like this of being of service to people. I think I like doing that because, okay, because I was a volunteer firefighter. <laughs> oh my gosh, you have thirty five jobs. I told you it's the West Indian in me, so I was a volunteer firefighter. So I think it was like the service side of me. And before I got into corporate America, I was in law enforcement. So I think it's that service aspect that I have where I like helping people, and I think part of the my journey of understanding people and the motivation and leadership, I think is what drew me, drew me also to the life coaching part as well. And it's in the tools and the tools I learned is something that I, I can incorporate 
in um, my work life. So I think that's why I like that's why I also liked about it. You, so it's something that I can use that's effective. Okay, just to go through the list of jobs um, <laughs> had. So wait, we have life coach. We have your doctor of education, so aka like basically a teacher. You are mm -hmm. um you are a firefighter, law enforcement. Well, volu so you are volunteer. volunteer. I volunteer. Yes. Okay. Um, law enforcement. You were a cop. I was a deputy sheriff in New York City. What? Hold on. Skirt and left turn. So deputy sheriff in New York City. I used to live. I used to live in New York. So I I lived. I grew up in the Bronx. In the Bronx. So um, <clears throat> as an undergrad, I didn't know if I wanted to go into law enforcement or into the corporate environment. So I, I tried out law enforcement first, and then when I, so that's when and then when I became pregnant with my son, that's why I decided let me go into corporate America and get my MBA mm -hmm. because I, I felt it was a safer route and I won't have to worry about if I was to put put myself in danger, uh, what would happen to my son. So that's why I made that switch from law enforcement to corporate America. <laughs> So, but when you were, so before that happened, you were a deputy sheriff, because New York City's tough. Like, that's a tough place. No, am I wrong? It's not tough to be law enforcement in New York City? It is, but it's like the um, level of tough for me might be different for the level of tough for someone that's not from the city. Mm. If that makes sense, right? Can you, can you explain that? I explain. So in New York City, I don't know where, you, where are you from? Where are you right now? Oh, so right now I'm in Northern New Jersey, but I was born and raised in Virginia, like Southern Virginia. So you're familiar with the subway station, the subway system in New York City. Yes, I am. People don't wait on lines. There's a space no. to fill it. Okay. In the Bay Area where I am, the the sub the, the train system out here, when people people wait on a nice in a nice line in a queue. So when I came from New York and I had to use the train system here. I saw a space. I was beeline going straight to it. My friend stopped. We said, no, 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 no. Wait online. I said, for what? There's a space right there. So <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? So people from the Bay Area might see that as a level of toughness of people just dart right into the subway station and fill the gap. To New Yorkers, that's normal. Totally normal. <laughs> so when I say, what's the perception of, of tough that you're talking about in New York, right? Like, Seeing a bum on the train station, whatever. Seeing more, see, seeing people selling um, batteries, gum, everything that you need in a, in a given day, nail clippers on a, on a train station. That that doesn't phase me, right? That might phase people if they saw that in the train system in the Bay, in Bay Area. Okay. So that's why I said, what's the perception that we're talking about here? So when I was in you know, the deputy sheriff um, in New York, is it tough? Yes, but. Compared to the environment that I was, that I was in, it's, it was it was it was bearable. <laughs> okay, you also said that when you switch jobs. No, I hear what you're saying. I was like processing it, but you said when you switch jobs, it was like to be more safe to take care of your son. So, what was like the part that made you feel like you had to switch jobs to be more safe? Was well, there an I experience mean, or? Oh, there's several experience because you know, as a deputy sheriff, you know, I I'm I'm carrying a gun and wearing a bulletproof vest. There's danger. Like there was times where we had to pull over a guy because um he was getting beat up and it was like you know at the, it was very obvious there was mafia involved, very obvious, right? And it's like, do you want to do something like this every day and go serving warrants and never know what could happen? Because it, there is a level, there's a higher level of risk doing that job than being in the corporate environment. The risk yes. in the corporate environment is much lower. But I mean, I wasn't going to get into money laundering or anything shady like that, that I would be on like a crime story for white crime. But, okay. physic but physically, <laughs> I have been safer in corporate environment knowing that I had um, a son on the way. So that's why, so I, I had a way to options. And plus my mom wasn't too happy <laughs> that I went to NYU to wear a bulletproof vest. <laughs> I can see that. Uh, that was fun. That was a fun conversation. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so she was like, what are you doing? Yeah, she pretty much was. She's like, I don't understand it. But then again, she's like, you know, it makes sense because your uncles are police officers and firefighters in St. Lucia. I was like, see, it's in the jeans. I'm like, don't there get mad go. at me. <laughs> 
of all the jobs you've had, what is the one you've appreciated the most? I think, well, appreciated. Mm-hmm. I think working in the corporate environment on the East Coast, I appreciate it because it gave me my thick skin to work in other places. Not even carrying a gun gave me thick skin. It was working in the corporate environment because being the minority in a corporate environment and understanding not only the corporate world, but the white world, if that makes sense. What, and understanding, seeing how they operate gave me the chops to, cause when you know the rules, you know how to work around things. You gotta learn the basics. So they, it taught me the basics there so that when I got other places, I'm like, okay, no, I know this game, we're not gonna play it. <laughs> so I think being the corporate environment in the East Coast is where I appreciate the most. It gave me the, some great life lessons. <laughs> that is wild to hear. Like it makes perfect sense because you're right, mm-hmm. you're the system and also you're minority, you have to like literally learn how everything works. But it's mm-hmm. wild to hear that you were like a serving deputy and like even that thing gave you thick skin, like corporate America was like so much harder. You gotta understand growing up in the Bronx, I grew up during the crack era. Mm-hmm. So I saw cops I, and being the deputy sheriff's office surrounded by minorities and you know, being, around, being surrounded by law enforcement that didn't face me a lot or, you know, whatever, but being in an environment that, I didn't know anybody that was in that environment. I, I was the first in my family to be in an environment like that, right? So it was different, it was new territory. So it was uncharted water for me, so to speak. So I had to figure it out, um, right? Whereas, you know, seeing the crack that was happening, watching how the cops interact with people in my neighborhood, there wasn't really nothing to be, for me to figure out because I saw, I observed it, I watched mm-hmm. it. I didn't have like a uncle or friend that I went to their office and we had office and go to office parties and hang out and do the office or um, after our, um, after hours parties with friends that were in the in corporate America. I, I didn't go to that high school whose parent whose who somebody's parent was doing that. Mm-hmm. That so that was all new, right? That was yep. so that was different. That makes sense. What's the job? the job you had that you've enjoyed the most? Is that different from appreciated? Um, enjoyed? Um, I enjoyed the law enforcement because I felt like I was, there was opportunities where I did get to help people. I enjoyed the volunteer fire fire work because it, it, it was a combination of me being outside, meeting people and being physical. Because there's, there's a part of me that like the physical aspect of, I have to, I need, I need something, I need physical movement. Um, I don't suffer from ADHD or anything like that, but I think it made me feel alive that I was actually doing something different every day. So that's what I enjoyed. Whereas in a corporate environment, there's a project or there's something you have to do and you know, there's tasks and you gotta get it done, you know, I do it, move on to the next thing. Whereas um, the service component of the work in law enforcement, firefighting, life coaching, it was different. And it allowed, and, um, I like the service aspect and then firefighting and um, the law enforcement, it was, there was a physicalness of it that I, I, I liked doing. That's cool to hear. Cause you're right, it's very different. Like change of pace every day. And then yeah. you have corporate where it's like, you're right, you got a project, you do the project next. <laughs> yeah, like right now I work for a national lab and it's not corporate America. Um, it's in research with the um, Department of Energy. It's different um, in a sense of corporate America was very profit money, money hungry with this. I feel like I'm, doing, I'm working for some a, gov, a group that's giving something back to the environment. I think it, it's, it's, um, it's humbling to work with a group of, um, in a place where there's a group of scientists doing something good for the environment. So that feels good. Um, so from an ethical perspective, I like being where I am today, but I don't get the physical aspect. So that's why I think the powerlifting part is so important for me that I have to do it. 
So when, when, when my family's asking me where I am, I'm like, you seriously gonna ask me that question? You know what I mean, that at work? <laughs> at the gym. Yep. <laughs> so come on. <laughs> oh my gosh. Is there another job you see yourself doing in the future? You've had so many. Right now, I could go back to teaching. I could go back okay. to teaching. Yeah, I definitely could go back to teaching. So I did teach for a while at the university. Um, and I could see myself going back to teaching, especially if um, I do want to write books on leadership, given my experience. Um, so teaching, definitely. I, I think it allows me the flexibility and it works my brain cells and I can still be physical. So on my own time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank <laughs> you so much for joining me today. I really oh, love talking to you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. This is fun. This is exciting. I held yes. it together. <laughs> held it together. Yes, ma'am, you did very well. I mean, again, you're a great talker. So when you when your book comes out, I'm excited <laughs> to read it. I don't care when, just let me know. Shoot me a little DM. I'll be the first one to buy it. Okay, thank you so much. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're welcome. And y'all, I'll catch you next time on the Power and Lifting Podcast. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you loved it, please give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. It will help me get the podcast out to more people. Catch you guys next time. <laughs>